Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Remember to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. Uh, also, if you want to give some feedback on the station, not just the front line with Joe and Joe, you could go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you have to say. And finally, if you want to support Joe and I, you could find us on social media, in particular on YouTube at The Frontline TV. The Frontline TV, there you'll see all of our uh, social media content also. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press. And we are going to be talking about what's wrong with the world. <laughs> There's a lot Just wrong with the world. Uh, but what's wrong with the world? by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, Kristen, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this is a reprint, um, I'm assuming, of Chesterton's that's work. That's right. Yep. Originally book. published 1910. Okay. All right. So, and that's why we're going to talk about it today in 2022, because Chesterton uh, had a lot to say then, and his ideas then are applicable now. Very quickly, for those of you who did not catch our last interview with Kristen, just a brief bio. Kristen Van Uden received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She previously studied the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. Uh, she now researches topics in church history and contemporary Catholic discourse as author spokesperson for Sophia Institute Press. She's been featured on Coast to Coast AM and the Federalist Kristen Van Uden. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks so much for having me back, guys. Our pleasure. With that said, we'll begin with the prayer, because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, this is going to be a great conversation. I think it's very relevant um, to, to what's going on basically in the news today. And I mean, Chesterton was very prophetic, as we all know. Um, so let's jump right into it, Kristen. I mean, Chesterton wrote this book almost a decade before his conversion to Catholicism. Uh, basically, how is the evolution of his thinking apparent in the book itself? Yeah, so as we so often see with many converts, especially those English converts who were contemporaries of Chesterton and then later on 
um, people like in the inkling circle, the often what precedes the supernatural conversion is a conversion of culture and lifestyle um, of morality. And this is where it's really fascinating to see the natural law working through someone's soul where he recognizes, of course, what's wrong with the world and then uses that as a vector to determine what's right with the world. And once he points himself and orients himself towards what is right and good and true and beautiful, then as an open-minded seeker of truth, he'll inevitably end up with Catholicism. And so that's what we see happening here with Chesterton. Um, I think the main topic that really is apparent in this book that is completely compatible with Catholicism is his ideas of the family and of the traditional family structure and um, the role of parents in raising their children uh, versus the state. And just uh, I, that's a story that you hear from many converts too, is that once they had children, that's the moment when they started to really think about the bigger questions um, about what happens after death and what is the good thing to do with my life. So uh, Chesterton himself never had children, but he and his wife were undergoing um, a series of conversions during this period. His wife was Anglican and he actually wrote her a really beautiful poem where one of the lines says, therefore I bring these lines to you that brought the cross to me. So she was religious before he was, he was kind of an atheist um, at the time that they were married. and she brought religion into his life and then together they found their way to the Catholic church. So you can see that really coming through in these writings here, um, that the natural law is shining through, illuminating his intellect, and we can see the works of the Holy Spirit at work, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I could remember watching EWTN, they would have, they have had a number of shows on Chesterton and uh, the man's hair game is second to none, Kristen, I gotta be <laughs> honest with you. It's the craziest thing I've ever he, seen. He, he, I know, he is quite <laughs> <laughs> instantly recognizable and I think I, I remember an American newspaper when he was visiting wrote that they were disappointed that he was not as fat as they were expecting given like all of the caricatures written about him in the British papers so, yeah he's a character yeah. I mean just like the whole outfit everything hair yeah. the whole nine <laughs> so yeah, uh Kristen Newton joining us uh, Van Newton joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe when we're discussing uh GK Chesterson uh, a reprint uh, by Sophia Institute Press. What's wrong with the world? Oh, is there a lot wrong with the world? Not just in 1910, obviously in 2022. And uh, and as Joe said, I mean, Chesterton was very prophetic. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about uh, economics, okay? Because mm -hmm. Chesterton is obviously... Now, again, a lot of Catholics will, will kind of be critical of Chesterton um, while respecting him, of course. I don't mean it in a negative way, but 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 uh, critical as far as his view on economics. Some people actually label him uh, and Belloc as socialists when they were not they were not those things. Okay, but what you know, you rec you you just mentioned, Kristen. You said he 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 recognized the natural law, the, and that led him the good, the true, and the beautiful led him to the Catholic Church. So, uh, and you can see that in a number of areas. Of course, in economics, we need to, especially now in America, we need to recognize this is really not an economy that's that's benefiting everyone. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and Chesterton refers to the dehumanized poverty of modern industrialism mm -hmm. and so what, what you know I, I know the word that that likes to get thrown around is distributism okay we don't have to get into distributism per se but what was his ideal economic program how is a nation's economy a direct reflection of its social values and vice versa by the way 
Yeah, so we have to remember that at the time Chesterton was writing, this was the great age of industrialization, which hit Britain extremely hard. It was a very rapid uh, change. So the mills were put up. Um, we went from an agrarian society that was more localized and villages with personal connections to the land and to the community to really, as he puts it, a dehumanized industrial existence where the worker is just a cog in the machine. Um, they are on the on the factory line. You are really good at one thing, but you never even see the final product sometimes. So this, of course, in the American context um, is Henry Ford. And even when we think of Aldous Huxley writing um, Brave New World about a dystopia, he models it upon our Ford as the leader. So this, this very industrialized um, sort of atomized existence where the holistic human being is not appreciated. You're only appreciated and sort of objectified in an objectified way. Um, so Chesterton is writing as a reaction to that. And especially in England at the time, child labor was another facet of this industrialization. So Dickens is one who really delves into that well and shows how the workhouse, for example, where essentially slave labor of children who were orphans and had nowhere to go or those who were too poor to take care of their kids or too poor to even take care of themselves would have to go to the workhouse and uh, would, would not be compensated really when you think about it um, in any sort of fair terms at all. So he is reacting against that and realizing that that is definitely not ideal. But like you said, the biggest misconception about him is that he therefore has to be a socialist, which is not true because as we know, it's uh, okay and it's, uh, it is possible to reject both this woke capitalism as, as we know it today, which is very, very much has its roots in this sort of soulless industrialization and also reject socialism because we see where socialism leads. Um, <clears throat> Ultimately, when you think about it, any sort of economic system that promises an earthly utopia is lying because we as a human race are fallen and utopia will only exist in heaven and not on this earth. So anything, um, this is where we see that both Nazism and so the Soviet Union communism have an earthly ideal of utopianism, which always fails and always ends in genocide and excluding others because they believe the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. So he saw both socialism and capitalism going towards that evil end. And the program that he pr uh, promotes instead is like you said, called distributism. And it's basically, uh, it's been criticized as being too idealistic, but it's a hearkening back to the age before industrialization where each man had property. And so, of course, we know with the American founding fathers, property was considered one of the great virtues in the Declaration of Independence. Before they changed the words, it was life, liberty, and property, which were considered the those sacred truths for which men should fight. So in distributism, basically, every man is the king of his own castle. So we've all heard that phrase before, every, every house is a, a castle, something like that. Um, so the idea is that a personal connection to your own little plot of land makes you, number one, motivated to work, because that's one of the great critiques of socialism is that, well, I don't know what I'm working for. If you're just working for the party or uh, for the collective, there's no personal connection to the work product. So it saps motivation entirely. And we also see the same sapping of motivation with the uh, super capitalist side of things where you're maybe just serving the, the 15th CEO. Um, they're going to be the ones reaping the benefits of your work. So his antidote to that is to have a real direct connection between worker and work product. So if you take, for example, the, the yeoman farmer, they're working on their land, they reap the benefits of that 
uh, for their family. You have a plot of land that you protect as your own. And really this is where the idea of the nation arises from is many people with their own plots of land that they fight for on their own um, working together, but not, uh, they, they share, but they maintain this independence. Um, also, it engenders a great responsibility in the person who owns that plot of land because nobody's going to do it for you. There's no social safety net to fall back into. So the welfare state, of course, is something that arose at the same time as industrialization because once you are, if you can't make it in that system, then <laughs> what's going to happen? Because right. there, there is no no plot of land anymore where where your ancestors lived. So he really thinks that property ownership, um, personal responsibility, and connection to a uh, land and then therefore to a small community, organic grassroots is the way to go. And I know it's easier said than done, but it is a model that existed before industrialization and incorporating parts of that um, into life and having it more of a diversified portfolio and backing things up. Um, of course, he was not living out distributism, so it was sort of a, a pipe dream in a way, but there were ways to incorporate it to to fight back about against both systems. Well, I I think that's an important distinction, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. We don't want to stay on this too long, but it is important to understand um, that you know one thing that angers me, Kristen Van Uden, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, is that the what you described being tied to the land, maybe actually be, having to be loyal to the Lord mm -hmm. of, of the manor, so to speak. Okay, they make that seem like slavery. Mm -hmm. That is so ideal compared to what we have now, okay, that people honestly believe that they're freer in America now, okay, than those people were. And I would tell them, listen, brothers and sisters, no, you're not. You just mentioned there are certain, you know, it's always a matter of, well, at least we're not socialists. What's the difference if you're serving the state or you're serving Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos? You're still serving somebody. I'd rather serve the Lord and be, I'm saying the Lord of the manor, so to speak, mm -hmm. like the one who owns the land. I'd rather be tied to the land and have a, a mutually beneficial relationship with that person than have a relationship that you have now with either the state or these oligarchs, because that certainly isn't beneficial. That's not leading to seven and eight children families in America, mm -hmm. the strengthening, strengthening of families, higher wages. That's, get, that's really getting us nowhere. Um, and I think Chesterton was right about that. And we have to also, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but I love a quick comment from you, Kristen. We have to convince conservatives to stop bending at the knee of the free market. Stop, mm -hmm. bend, stop bending their knee at the free market, because I think that's the criticism that a Chesterton and a Belloc have against capitalism. You're bending your knee to something other than God, okay? And you think it's going to get you somewhere. I'd love a quick comment, a comment on that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, first on the difference between real slavery, slavery to the state, and then wage slavery is really nothing. Um, so you can think about the difference maybe between the Soviet and then the Chinese economy, which today brands itself as state capitalism. It's really the same thing. <laughs> um, and either way, the worker is disenfranchised and made a slave. So they're, they're allies, even though they, they claim to be uh, multipolar. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the conservative movement, yes, definitely. The free market is soulless. It's essentially social Darwinism. It's, um, you know, it has a certain fascistic element almost with might makes right and the, the weak will be weeded out. And of course, um, the alternative as socialism is more horrendous, but with so many, uh, the way the free market has really been corrupted up into this point, it 
again, like you said, it's not an idol and um, right. Conservatives need to be looking towards a third way an escape patch from this and remember our human dignity. And that uh, once, if you're a wage slave, then you're no better than a real slave. And of course, salvation can be found in any, any state of life and any job, but to not identify so much with the market and with the economy. Thanks for I'm going to blow this idea out a little bit because John Paul made a lot of comments about capitalism, um, particularly when Poland fell, and he warned Poland about the dangers of capitalism. Uh, basically, I, I, I reference this constantly without moral boundaries. And it's very true. It is the ideal system, but it has to have virtue and moral boundaries, and it has to have moral men. And what builds morality is God. God, it instills mor morality in you. Also, family. You learn to be moral, to be virtuous in a, in a good family. Not a perfect family, but a good one. We're missing that. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, Kristen, I've been, we were talking before, uh, you know, the show began. I mean, I've been in corporate America for some time. It is soulless. Once a company goes public, the dividend drives the decisions, but then it comes down to choice. You see, this is something that Catholics, and I, I want to make this clear because I think it's important. I've seen it. Catholics, we go to these schools. Many of us are very smart. I'm not one of them. Let me maybe just clarify that. But but some of many of the Catholics go to these fancy schools, you know, Notre Dame, Georgetown. I'm not picking on them. They become robber barons. I have seen it. I have seen it. And you can't separate business from from belief. Like the idea that it's done in the name of business. No, that's not flying. That's what Pilot did. It's not flying. And it's a choice. We make choices. Also, talking about how society is structured, you have to see Christ in other people. That requires charity. And if you are gifted, and this is not socialism, this is Christianity, you have to, if you're gifted, you have to basically share those gifts with others. That's money. And that's also taking care of your workers. And that's not done. I'm telling you right now, you could talk all you want, like not us, but people in general, Catholic ethics, schools, blah, blah, blah. I went to a Jesuit college. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. It's not what's going on in the marketplace. And the devil opens up that hole. You start making money. You start making choices. Before you know it, you find yourself far away from God. You're a little younger than us. I, I'd like to hear your comments on it because, I mean, maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I've seen too much. But I've seen a lot, as I've just said, and it's not you're, pretty. You're, you're not maybe you're not maybe jaded. You're jaded. So am no, I. fair enough. But I've Perhaps seen it. Kristen I mean, I've not. seen it. Kristen Van Newton joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Go ahead, Kristen. Yeah. So I think an interesting parallel to that is the overcompensation towards extreme capitalism that occurred in the post-Soviet countries and that post-Soviet bloc after the collapse of the USSR. And this is something that I studied quite closely for a good number of years. And this is why you see. Uh, unfettered from the constraints of communism, they still think in a communistic mindset, which has just been dehumanized. And so it's just, they have more uh, certain oligarchs. This of course is not everyone. Um, those who are opportunistic will still maintain this soulless persona and yet just game the capitalist system this time instead of the communist system. So this is why we see the rise of hugely powerful oligarchs who even sometimes have their own private armies um, warring, poisoning each other, sending each other to jail. <laughs> and um, 
all within it, the oh so virtuous capitalist system. So I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. So it's the same principles that are applied to democracy in the free market. Of course, the free market has always been seen as like the economic equivalent of a, a democratic government. Um, and so, yes, like you pointed out, if the populace isn't virtuous, then these systems, which are merely tools, they're not goods in and of themselves. They're not ends in and of themselves. They're methods to achieve something. Um, those systems will then reflect the ideals of the populace. And so this is why we've seen corruption of democratic countries who have self-determination and have the ability to vote still you know, turning towards totalitarianism. And then also why we see this trend in the free market. Um, I can definitely echo your sentiments, Joe, about the having escaped from the corporate world, luckily to, to land at a Catholic nonprofit has been incredibly night and day with um, the experience of how the workers are treated. Um, there's there's this very much this obsession with the bottom line and uh, of undercutting the competition and to a certain degree business has to be run that way I mean you have to make money that's just the the end of the day like it's it's a, a requirement but um I don't know if you've noticed within the past I'd say five years it's been quite recent every single company has a social media account and they all sort of parrot <laughs> these uh uh sort of lockstep social goals and they they all seem to take their cues from the same people so you'll see like a something like a, a cereal company talking about uh some sort of major social issue <laughs> as if they have any expertise on that yeah, so that's when you want to just say just shut up and make yes. cornflakes man just make yeah, exactly. cornflakes and, and, and that's it Kristen van uden joining us at the mm -hmm. front line with joe and joe you know uh chesterson had a lot to say about economics that's why we're we're, we're staying on economics and um the, the dangers that are out there. Uh, the book is What's Wrong with the World. Now, this is a reprint um, by Sophia Institute Press, What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, let's, uh, oh, by the way, Kristen, who are you to say that these people are not virtuous? They'll be the first ones to tell you that they're <laughs> right. virtuous, okay? Um, right. But let's stay there because <laughs> virtue is not the virtue that you were alluding to or what Joe was alluding to, okay, uh, which is true virtue uh we have now uh what what they call virtue which is basically wokeness and we have woke capital now chesterton diagnosed what would what would eventually become woke capital as this un, unholy alliance and we just mentioned it about the the cornflakes company um you know big corporate interests and social progress progressivism now when when we were growing up kristen coca-cola made coca-cola Mm -hmm. All right. Burger King made burgers and McDonald's didn't care about uh, thing. They didn't didn't want to tell little boys they could be girls and <laughs> vice versa. Not so the case now. What say you and what say Chesterton? Yeah, I think Chesterton would say that this is the logical conclusion of uh, a populace that has lost its virtue. And then also the the free market being given far too much power to become uh to become a creature of its own instead of serving the people. Uh, he talks a lot about the isms and collectivism, socialism, capitalism, et cetera, and how when focusing on the macro like that, we lose the forest for the trees. And when we focus so much on mankind, we lose sight of man. We lose sight of the person in front of us. And we see this like with his economic program, but also with his social views that the individualism and um, focusing on local 
connections and just development of personal virtue is the only way to think your way through this and, and to get out of this idea. Because if you try to be a member of a collective, you're just a number, you're just, uh, we see this like with how cults operate actually, and uh, with social media, how that operates, you're just another dopamine hit for someone. You're just, you're just another part of the system. And by just like seceding from the system altogether, and ultimately this is what the church does. Um, <clears throat> we've seen, especially like uh, the misconceptions that the Jewish people had about what the savior would be as this warrior king who would be leading the people to a great collective victory, whereas that's not what Jesus was at all. And of course, his humility and his focus on um, the individual person and development of virtue at the cost of some sort of great collective victory is is one of the the major things that many people walked away from him about so um we see this in his family program and in, in economics and in education as well is that the antidote to all of this is to focus back to the individual oh I, there's I no question agree, about agree that with, yeah thousand percent joe i'm handing it over to you but let's let's talk about like you know christ people walked away from christ i mean Again, once again, even in business, in government, we make choices, and it's to swim against the you know the current. You see, again, and, and this is what I have seen. I'll, I'll draw the parallel to like the Grateful. You, you, I don't know if you remember the Grateful Dead, but I, like when I was in college, the Grateful Dead. You know, you have all these hippies, and they're all drinking beers, and then they graduate college, and then they become robber barons, and all that like like stuff kind of goes by the wayside. And, and this is, again, echoing what I was talking about. God doesn't care about the collective. God doesn't care about all these things. He cares about the individual. And we have to make choices. And making those choices as a Catholic, and I'm sure Chesterton would agree, sometimes means you can't have that job. I've seen that in my own career, like where things have been presented to, to me where I'm like, I can't do that because I won't do that. We don't see that anymore. We do not see that. If I just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And we've lost that too as a society. And that's why this book is so prophetic because he's, it just goes to show you, and this kind of leads into the larger question man doesn't learn, Kristen. Like all the smart people, they're all so smart, they don't learn. And it's going on right before their eyes. Why is that? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we have we have a tendency. Ultimately, the answer is sin and selfishness is that people are blinded by pride. Pride is the worst of the deadly sins. And um, I was learning the difference the other day between pride in oneself, which is obviously evil, but then also vanities. Um, pride to show off for others. And so those two, I think today, especially the devil has been incredibly wily in disguising those as virtues. So you've heard of humble bragging, for example, where people will go online and, and just even do this in person and brag about how they went on a mission trip or something. And they're so virtuous and like, oh, good job. Um, and then also um, with social media, you can create this persona that isn't who you are at all and just uh, brag about having a family even. Anything that you do that you turn into bragging kind of loses the virtue that it had um, in and of itself if you're doing it to put down others or to 
kind of align yourself with a group to be part of the cool kids club rather than doing it for God. Of course, Jesus himself tells us that especially now in Lent, we've been thinking of fasting. When you fast, don't make a big deal out of it. You're supposed to, you know, he says, wash your face and, you know, participate in society instead of the hypocrites who are going to uh, say, oh, woe is me. I'm fasting. I'm so virtuous. So right, that's the whole point. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to be able to tell that you're fasting. Exactly. <laughs> so okay. we have a tendency towards showing off and towards public, very public displays. Uh, Joe, to your point of just saying no, that yes, I feel like my life as a Catholic often has just been saying, having to say no constantly <laughs> to, to jobs, to relationships, to things like in any aspect of your life because we can't compromise with evil and a compromise with evil only evil wins because good polluted by one drop of poison ceases to become good and uh, that's why heresies like heretics had 99.9 percent .9 of the faith but then that one drop of heresy caused it all to crumble and so that's this is why uh, the meaning of catholic actually is whole and inviolate so the church cannot be violated by any sort of, of heresy or, or error and it's the same way of course we fail and we we pick ourselves back up but with um with virtue and if you start to slide if you start to make compromises in your own life then you see that effect um in your own soul and your family and then in ultimately in the world at large. So yeah, often just opting out and accepting that, um, you know, it's not about the glories of, of this world um, is, is the one of the crosses that we have to bear. And I think while Chesterton's not there yet with this book, this is where he's headed because he's realizing that uh, the, the vanities and the glories that the world has to offer are really not worth having. No, they're really not. What was it the, uh, in, is it in Ecclesiastes, vanity, what is it? Uh, vanity of vanities. All is All vanity. Is vanity. Yep. <laughs> and, and again, that's why I think the modern world hates the Bible so much because they know it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, the vain <laughs> people don't like to be exactly the vain people don't like to be called vain. Now, it's not a judgmental thing because, like I said, we're all sinners. That's not mm -hmm. the thing. But, but the thing is, but, but like I said, the vain don't want to be called vain. The sinful don't want to be called sinful. The hypocrites don't want to be called hypocrites. That's why the modern world hates scripture so much because scripture is very clear. Yeah on these things. Let's take a break. Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Sophia Institute Press reprinted What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. He wrote that in 1910. And man, the things that he wrote 110 years later, 112 years later, are still very applicable and relevant. So you're with us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Stick around. We have another half hour. With Kristen Van Uden, you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. 
stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello in the breach with Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press that has just reprinted What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. And that's where we're going to continue our conversation. Joe Resinello. Kristen, I want to expand on a thought that you put forth in the last segment about how the natural law and conservatism basically led him to the Catholic faith. Um, Our catechism says, again, don't you know get mad at me this is what the catechism says it says that we are saved through baptism and the church this is what the catechism states john paul's catechism which was published in 1992 i believe that's the year but then it says if you're not catholic through no fault of your own the church holds out hope for salvation so let's blow that out a little bit chesterton was searching for truth and he found it because he was searching for it. You see, we're all going to have an exit interview with the Lord one-on-one when we die. And if one isn't Catholic, the fullness of truth, Jesus Christ, we can't separate Christ from the church, then you get into that second caveat, through no fault of your own. Now, if I'm the lawyer, what I would say to that person on that exit interview would be this, were you searching Was it your priority? What was your priority? We have Google now, Kristen, and you could find out a lot of things, and we all know how to read. Chesterton found the truth because it was his priority. Is that something that the world is making their priority? I don't see it. Maybe I'm being judgmental, but to be honest, I have eyes. And, you know, Bad fruit comes from a bad tree. That's what we're seeing. Let's talk about that a little bit because he found it. And frankly, we all have to be searching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's one of the most kind of difficult uh, doctrines of the church to accept is that extra ecclesium nulla solis. Outside the church, there is no salvation. So uh, we know that to be the the fact. Um, And of course, only God can judge somebody's particular soul. So if somebody, you know, through no fault of their own, um, has not come to the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. Like we we cannot make any prescriptions here on earth. The only one we know for sure is in hell is Judas and Satan. Um, but on the other side, we can't uh, fall prey to the dare we hope all men are saved um, refrain, because if you think about that, that that removes the need for evangelization, because we need to be telling the truth. We need to be speaking the truth to people. As St. Bernadette said, I come not to convince, but to inform, uh, something like that. So, uh, of course, we, we must speak the truth as an act of charity towards those who aren't Catholic, and of course, in a tactful way, and um, through using natural law and commonalities and um, and things like that, but yes, there's um, there there is such thing as invincible ignorance, um, and the church has uh, has defined that as as an actual term. So there, yes, we can't we can <laughs> we shouldn't fall into despair, um, but also we shouldn't take it as a, a pass to just sit back and say, oh well, if you were a good X Y Z religion, then you'll make it because uh, that, that's not what 
what we are taught. Um, well, that's, mo that, that's modernism, isn't it? Yes, that is modernism. That, basically, synthesis of all heresies. Yeah, Newton. synthesis of all heresies, you know, and, and, and differentism, you mm -hmm. know, is part of that. Well, didn't you know if you're Jewish, you go straight to heaven, you know, or, you know, you could follow the old law, or if you're, you're a Muslim. They listen, God is the one who's going to take into account any mitigating factor he can, because God desires us to be in heaven. Okay, mm -hmm. that does not dilute the truth that you need to be as as you're talking about you need to actively be searching for the truth and that manifest and the i i want to just piggyback on this that manifests itself in the way you live your life that's how we started this conversation mm -hmm. that we're lacking virtue in america because we're not searching for the truth the truth is pick this up and let me check to see what's in my checking account mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the truth joe you were about to say no but i was going to say i think what god in his mercy does for all people catholic and non-catholic alike because he loves all people is he shows himself to you in moments very clearly and those are moments where you have to change like it could be at your marriage it could be at the birth of a child it could be at a moment where your mother passes away it could be a moment of sickness, but then we have to change. And that's why conversion is a constant process. And if, as Padre Pio would say, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I mean, none of us are there yet. Chesterton, and I, I always, we, we talk to a lot of people, Kristen, particularly through St. Paul Center, and a lot of the folks that are affiliated with that, that Scott's Hans organization, were converts, and they gave up a lot their friends, their family, a lot of them had their own like little church, they, which means it's your living. And they, they said, yes, you see, we as Catholics have to do that too. Christ is constantly pulling us, pulling us. Um, and that's constant conversion. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, that's openness to truth, having a will that's flexible. Um, and that's what Chesterton did. And I give him a lot of credit. Yeah, that's a great point because baptism into the one Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church is necessary, but not sufficient for salvation. So it's a necessary condition, but just because you're baptized, you still have to do the work. You still have to constantly be dying to self and through an ongoing process of further conversion. Um, it's interesting that actually when one is in a state of mortal sin, you actually lose membership in the church um, because you cannot be admitted to communion. And that is really the definition of, of, of communion as being one, being whole with the whole universal church. Um, so yes, we're certainly not, not through the gate yet. Um, it's, it's important to continue to be prop, uh, properly catechized and staying out of sin and growing in virtues. Um, and also, it's interesting that we're always told, if you think about it, at the end of every Hail Mary, we say, pray for us now and at the hour of our death, because final perseverance is the greatest grace that God will be able to give us in our lives. Um, I always think, I used to think, oh, well, at the moment of your death, you're almost there. There's no lures of the world anymore. Why would that be the hardest moment? But that's actually the moment that the devil increases his attacks uh, towards despair or giving up or... Uh, just even atheism at, the, at that time to try to get you in the last possible minute to apostatize and to lose faith in God. So um, yeah, I certainly pray um, for everyone um, with the hope that they were given that grace of final perseverance. I know Padre Pio once said that John F. Kennedy was in heaven because of all of the prayers that were applied to his soul at the moment of his death. So uh, we know, of course, like with 
I mean, rumors, but he did not lead a perfect life and he was definitely committed sins, but because of those prayers, he supposedly was granted the, the, the gift of final perseverance. So um, yes, I certainly pray for, for anyone to, to have had that conversion. Um, we know that Our Lady can appear to souls right about the moment of their death and that they can make an act of contrition and that will serve as the baptism of desire um, in order to for them to fully accept Catholicism in their hearts and get to heaven. But yes, to your point, um, this is something we always have to be vigilant and we can thank God for the graces that he has given us to see the truth, um, but then also use that as kind of a clarion call to, to bring the truth to as many others as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kristen Van Uden is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Sophia Institute Press uh, has issued a reprint of What's Wrong What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. Kristen, um, C.S. Lewis, we were talking a little bit about progress, all right, mm -hmm. which kind of like makes you laugh a little bit. It was like, like what are we progressing <laughs> towards? But C.S. Lewis had a comment on that. He says, you know, if you're going down the wrong path and you know it to be wrong, the person who turns around first and goes back to the beginning is the most progressive, okay? <laughs> Not the one who continues down that path. I think a little education in America in that regard uh, might come in handy. So let's let's talk about progress for a second um, uh, as, you know, um, as it pertains to Chesterton. He spoke of the false emphasis on science, okay? Mm -hmm. The false emphasis, let's be clear, because the atheists love to pound on us Catholics when we're critical of science. No, we're not critical of science. In fact, I'd like to break it to him. As Father Stanley Yaki said, we gave science to Western civilization, okay? Mm -hmm. So we, we, you know, but we could be critical of the scientist or the perversion of science and all their progressivism, um, sexual license as liberating, uh, socialism as we talked about, fake humanity, and how faith, quote-unquote, faith in the future is actually a sign of cowardice and fear of our past. Dissect that a lot. I know it's a, there's a lot there, Chris. Yeah. Dissect that uh, from a Chesterton, Chestertonian point of view. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, about fear of the past, he draws this parallel between progressivism, like you said, is not really all that progressive, because in order to be progressive, you have to have a, a telos, you have to have a teleological orientation towards something worth having. And he, he views progress really as just a sort of a, the opposite, as like a um, what a nuclear half-life, almost like something that's denigrating instead. Um, he has an entire chapter called The Fear of the Past, and he posits that what's often called progressivism is really just a rejection, is just reactionary towards something that came before. It's not original. It's not uh, its own well-formed set of thoughts. It's just merely reacting to something that is, is unliked um, in the past for uh, not even on philosophical grounds, just by purely reacting reactionary um, just a comment real quick Kristen just because you said that the French Revolution comes to mind yes yes absolutely right tearing down everything <laughs> uh, destroying the Catholic Church and placing reason on the altar the goddess of reason on the altar of Notre Dame which is just mm. horrifying that's a great parallel um, Chesterton has this great quote and of course he's always quotable in his entirety but in terms of progressivism he says the future is a blank wall on which every man can write his own name as large as he likes but the past i already find covered with illegible scribbles such as plato isaiah shakespeare michelangelo etc so it's a it's a fear of engaging with ideas the future is something that man can make in his own image which is ultimately uh demonic
idiotic. You shall be as gods. Um, where uh, Chesterton's great friend Hilaire Belloc always used to say that to under uh, it is mere bad history to undervalue tradition. So uh, we can see, of course, that this will be a seamless transition for him to accepting the tradition of the Catholic Church and the especially the intellectual tradition that has been handed down because it is it is something that has been not only tested empirically by the ages but was was revealed is divinely revealed and passed down and that's the whole point of tradition whereas progressivism um is, is utterly a rejection of that i i, I just for I, I mean i guess i understand the impulse if you hate the catholic church look as far as french revolutionaries communist revolutionaries to me they're all cut from the same cloth and mm -hmm. and people make the mistake Kristen, and i'm going to hand it over to joe but they make the mistake of thinking these are political movements their target has has was is and always will be the Catholic Church. Now that you, you could talk about, let's say, a more amorphous Christianity being their target or tradition. Their target is always squarely on the back of the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church preserves the tradition, not just Catholic tradition. You mentioned on that wall is Socrates, okay, mm -hmm. and Aristotle, okay. The great, you know, if it's true church embraces it okay but you're dealing with people who just quite frankly they don't like or they have a disdain um they don't want to be restricted they think that they're 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 selling liberation to people i would emphasize to everybody everybody they are the ones the revolutionaries that would tear everything down they're the ones selling the slavery they're mm -hmm. liberating you from nothing all right what they're doing is they're putting on the chains and they're putting them on real tight I wish people yeah. would get that through their head. They are becoming the masters themselves, and they're enslaving you ultimately to a worldly demonic kingdom, which they, they try to frame obedience to God as slavery, but that's really true freedom, and what they are offering is slavery. You're absolutely right. Hey, I always say, Bob Dylan always said, you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil, but you're going to serve somebody. And I'm just going to make three Mention no, three quick things and hand it over to Joe. When you when you're addicted to pornography that was sold to you as liberation, when you're addicted to sexual liberation that was sold to you as liberation, when you're when you're addicted to your credit card that was sold to you as liberation, and when you're addicted to the metaverse. Now we have the metaverse, okay? Mm -hmm. So you could actually completely escape reality. You used to have to go to the movies to do that. Now you can immerse yourself in something that's wholly detached from reality. But don't worry. You're liberated. Yeah. Okay. Joe, where are we headed? Well, you, you, basically, you know, we're talking about hope. I mean, we have hope in heaven. That's how I live. I, I look at my house, Kristen, as my children destroy it. And they are. I have five kids under under seven. My house is a mess, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, and and I, I, I can't get even like, it can't bother me because I say to myself, my house isn't in here. It's in heaven, like my dream house. But what we're talking about are governments and people who are trying to create heaven on earth, and there never will be. You said that rightly, and you're spot on. I think a lot of that drives those decisions and those motivations. But as Catholics, we are supposed to be leavened in the world, wherever we are. The world is never going to be perfect. It never was. Even the original 12, Judas basically loved Jesus, but he didn't believe in his method. That's why he turned on him. He loved him, but he didn't. He's like, your way's not going to work. And mm -hmm. I kind of figured out a better way. We all know that that wasn't the right way. Mm -hmm. 
but that's what we all like the societies do. How can we best be leavened? Now, we could take two different approaches. We could take the quote unquote pastoral approach. We've seen that in the church, or we could take a hard line traditional approach. We could debate both and people take both sides. Most people don't relate to the head right away. They relate to the heart. Most people, when you touch their heart, then their head is receptive. What are your thoughts on that? Because this is something that we as Catholics, we must be leaven in the world. God doesn't just say, okay, good for you, bad for everybody else. What are your thoughts on that approach of heart first, then head? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the way. Um, of course, even St. Francis de Sales says we catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Um, so in, in terms of evangelization, absolutely. Also in terms of the conservative movement, I've seen sort of a frightening uh, movement happening online that really promotes like bullying and uh, like f literally they, I saw someone tweet the other day I support bullying <laughs> and uh, this idea that uh, strength like might is right and uh, the 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 strong will eat the weak and all of that and I was like no like if you want to know what bullying looks like look at the crowning of thorns where Jesus is being bullied by these centurions who are spitting in his face and sneering at him. And when we go into the world, of course, we have to be warriors for Christ and we have to like fight the crusades in our own way. But ultimately, each of us has to be Christ. We have to be like him, especially in his humility. And um, so when whenever we're tempted to, to turn to these movements that look like uh, because the Antichrist himself, when you think about it, is going to present himself as the savior from something that is clearly evil. So we can look today to the, the leftist movements that are just, you know, like decimating families and like destroying morality and say, that's evil. So I'm going to hitch my wagon to a star on the right that takes us in the correct direction. But if that on the right is also not centered on God, then it's going to fall apart. And the Antichrist will appear as Christ. He'll appear as the savior against, against this. And we have to be very, very discerning um, when, when we talk about methodology. And if you're ever asked to sin, or if you ever feel that you are stepping into sin on something that is on the right side, that that's not it. Um, so ultimately, the <laughs> This is comes back to the individual level again. The, the church will suffer. Uh, each of us as members of the church will suffer in the way Christ suffered. We, we don't get away with uh, a better fate than him. Um, and to actually, Chesterton concludes with a story that really illustrates this, which is, as you said, the antidote is treating everyone with dignity and recognizing the individual person and speaking to their heart. Um, he tells the story of the a certain tenement in London. So at that time, these tenements were horrible conditions, literal slums, um, which was a direct um, result from the industrial wastage and just the industrial lifestyle. And there was a rampant epidemic of lice. And so the government's solution to the lice was to send in agents to shave the heads of all the children in the slums. And Chesterton just looked at that and said, this is ridiculous. Why is no one saying, instead of getting rid of the hair let's get rid of the lice <laughs> and the go-to option was to dehumanize the people really by taking away their hair um and to take away their agency in, in that way by forcing them to do this rather than solving the problem rather than blaming the aggressor <laughs> which is the lice and the system that perpetuated that so he said i don't have the perfect solution to 
get rid of the lice, but I know it's not to sacrifice the hair. So he knows it's not to sacrifice the human in front of you in order to uh, serve some sort of collective ideal or some sort of social or political or economic program. And whenever you're asked to do that, that's when, when you know that program has reached its end and needs to reorient if it's ever going to be saved. And so that's the litmus test. Is this are we treating humans with dignity? And is this thing I'm aligning with my, myself with treating the person in front of me with dignity? And uh, that's all we can do in our own lives. And that's what we can hope our leaders will do as well. Yeah, you, well, we, we can hope. Um, <laughs> and the, the book is What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. And Sophia Institute has decided to issue a reprint. And we're being joined by Kristen Van Uden. I want to just touch on something you said, Kristen. Jesus said, be not deceived. Mm-hmm. He didn't say... Oh, don't worry about it if you're if if you have the wool pulled over your eyes. Okay, right. don't worry about it. I'm he, no. He said, "Be not deceived." As a warning, mm-hmm. okay. And I think what you said is very important. And if we have to appeal to conservative-minded people, okay, with conservatives at least you're halfway there. With with, with the left, you're they're, they're so far gone that mm-hmm. they're, you know, I I wouldn't even know what to say there. But at least with conservatives, you're halfway there. Like the Antichrist, because everybody talks about communism and Marxism. But they don't understand the one pulling the strings is the devil. And he's going to try to deceive you in any way. That's why we were talking before that we were talking before we went on air um, about how, no, the right does this too. They're deceivers on the right too, because Mm -hmm. the one pulling their string over there for their own self-interest is obviously Satan also. And I would tell conservatives. (laughs) dialectic. That's it. That's it. You get your, your head straight. I was going to say it differently being from North New Jersey, but so I was going to, you know, this is a family show after all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you got to get your head on straight. Jesus said, be not deceived. And as conservatives, I would think in your mind, okay, again, I agree with probably them on most things, but you, but you have to recognize the fullness of the truth. Don't think because somebody says, you know, Hey, I'm pro-life. Hey, I'm pro-free market. Hey, I'm pro-America. No, 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 no. That person can be deceiving you just as much as the, as let's say the 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 you know anybody on the left who would be deceiving you. I love your your comments on that about not falling for deception no matter where it comes from. Yep. That's exactly right. And the church is Satan's biggest target because it is the depository of faith and of truth on earth. So Satan will waste less time with those who are completely just promoting sin on the left because they've already bought into his program they've already kind of sold their souls so to speak and of course we, we pray for them to come to the truth but they he doesn't have to do any more work with them they are doing it they are doing his work themselves so he then turns his attention to those who uh, have some degree of truth and who are working towards the truth but maybe have the wrong reasons they're working for it for prideful worldly aims for self-aggrandizement or are confused and he'll he'll add diabolical disorientation into the mix to get you to do anything for the wrong reason. Uh, the majority of satanic attacks and propaganda are not aimed at those on the left. They're, they, they're aimed on members of the church. And we see this in the progress of spiritual perfection. Padre Pio, for example, was beaten physically by demons because he was so immune to all other demonic influence in his life. And so if you're getting a lot of flack, you're over the target. If you're getting a lot of demonic attacks, then you're you're closer to the truth. And it just it is kind of scary, but also we have to pray for discernment. And uh, I love how you you frame that our Lord's words as an admonition, because that is what it is. Do not be deceived. It's it, we have a responsibility to inform ourselves and to uh, to request that discernment. Because if we are deceived, you know, ultimately it could have disastrous consequences. Um, 
for ourselves and then for other souls who might not really understand what's going on and think that this means this is Catholicism when when it's really a counterfeit version, uh, for example. Yeah, no, and it's out there. I mean, and like, you know, it's all you- over the place now. I mean, that's what that's the reason why Joe and I have a show on social mm-hmm. media, because we said in the beginning, we've been saying from the beginning, th- th- they serve it up on a platter. Joe and I are talkers by nature. OK, mm-hmm. but they give us plenty of ammunition. They serve <laughs> up the deception on a platter so that Joe and I, every time we go on, we're just we're just trying in our own small way, you know, mm-hmm. just to pick those things off and tell our brothers and sisters, oh, don't listen to that. Or don't listen to that. We don't have the PhDs on the wall, but we were smart enough to know maybe because we stay close to the sacraments, maybe because we pray our rosaries, maybe because we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. But we see these people coming from a mile away. But yeah. Joe was about to say something. Joe, I'm sorry. No, I but it's, it's what you're, I'm glad you mentioned that because the devil could work with anyone. And, and I liked how you broke that down. Um, and I want to just illustrate that with the story. I can remember at, a ch- at the church I grew up in, there was a man. Uh, who was homeless. He was very smart. He came from a wealthy family. He had mental issues, but he was homeless, And but he was Catholic, and he used to come to church, and people treated him very badly. And I could, re- I could remember he was in the back of the church, and this guy was like, no, 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 no. You don't sit here. You sit over there. And it was right by the tabernacle that he put him. And I said to myself, This man who goes to church and he serves, he's missing it. We can miss it in the church. And how we miss it is we're not fasting, we're not going to confession, and we're not praying. You see, as Joe put it, you could tick all the boxes and miss Jesus. That man missed Jesus in the back. You, the Pharisees did everything right. What I was just thinking. They and Jesus the was right in front of them, and he, they didn't see him because we delude ourselves. We simply delude ourselves. And the remedy to that is prayer daily, is fasting, and is the sacraments, because I'm telling you, you see it. I see it in myself, to be honest with you. Like, and we have to be vigilant about that. Please talk a little bit about that, because to be honest with you, so so many people, they say, like, we tick the box. Like, well, I pray the rosary. Well, I go to church on Sunday. Well, guess what? My behavior doesn't reflect it. Or Christ is staring in front of us and we miss him. Exactly. And so many, sadly, abuse the sacraments and sacramentals. So wearing a scapular, for example, of course, we believe in Our Lady's promises, but it's not licensed to go out and mortally sin, you know, Um, and praying the rosary. Uh, some people can just go through the motions and be cut off by grace. And I really think that at the root of all of this is pride. So going back to the Pharisees, they were the first ones to do this. And of course, in the Old Testament, there were many who rejected the, the, the words of the prophets, but they're blinded by their own pride. The Pharisees, like we were talking about earlier, liked to show off. They liked to go through the motions. They were all about the ceremony and the beauty, but did not have ultimately the faith, because if they did, they would have recognized Jesus. Um, 
I think in today's terms for <laughs> maybe some of the younger people listening might be familiar with this term uh, LARPer. So it's a live action role player. And it comes from those guys who like play Dungeons and Dragons and dress up as something that they're not. But it's been um, used in the culture to describe someone who is play acting at something because they like certain parts of it, but their heart isn't in it. So sadly, I often run into this with Catholics who are attracted to the church's beauty, for example. I mean, it is very aesthetically beautiful our church of course it is it's the depository of truth and beauty so the churches are the buildings are beautiful the, the liturgy is beautiful the the traditions the art it's all beautiful but you have to see through the beauty you have to see past it because it only signifies to the glory of god and if you're in it just for the aesthetics which um can be a big barrier unfortunately to people then then you miss the point um Kristen, I, I apologize, Kristen, but it's radio and we got to leave it there. Okay. okay. But I did want to leave you enough time. All right. You have like about 30, 50 seconds, something like that. Tell people why they should buy books at Sophia Institute Press, where they could find Sophia Institute Press and where this and where they could buy this book, this reprint of G.K. Chesterton. Yes. So our website is sophiainstitute.com. Um, I would recommend buying directly from the website, though some of our titles are available on Amazon. Don't uh, say that anymore. No, I'm, only kidding, I'm only kidding. <laughs> What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. This is how the cover looks. And uh, I would really recommend this for all the reasons we've discussed today. Uh, we also do have a Lenten category and about eight new releases every month. So you can sign up for our newsletters at sophiainstitute.com. All right, Kristen Van Unen. We have to emphasize to everyone out there, stop buying, you know, or put it like this. Let me not bash anybody. But let's take advantage of our Catholic publishers, Sophia Institute Press being preeminent amongst them. Kristen Van Uden, we want to thank you for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We want to thank you all out there for listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Be sure if you want to give us any feedback to go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com, where you could, uh, get, you know, tell us what you think of our show and all the shows um, on our station. Download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please support Joe and I on social media at The Frontline uh, with Joe and Joe on YouTube. That's actually The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV on YouTube. We want to thank you once again. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We will talk to you soon. Thank you.